Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Daniel 11.36 through 12.13. After Daniel's prophecy, we're going to go into Galatians. So Daniel's very intense. You can't help but teach it intensely. When we get into Galatians, we're going to throttle it back a little bit. We're going to be in a different book. It's going to speak about what is the gospel of salvation and why the Apostle Paul fought so vigorously to defend it from the false teachers. But for now, we're in Daniel 11. And what we saw the last time was Antiochus IV Epiphanes, uh, many years before the man was even born, this military leader who was an ungodly man, uh, who, because of him, the Hanukkah story, we understand. So really, Hanukkah was told in Daniel 11 before it actually took place in the second century B.C. BC. Pretty fascinating. Today we're going to look at Antiochus Epiphany's 21st century, I believe, counterpart or fulfillment in the Antichrist. He's going to be, the, and this shouldn't be hard for us to get. I mean, you can look at you know, the 20th century, whether it be Stalin, Hitler, uh, Mao. We can go through the list of men and women that try to take over the world, and you know, maybe they did for a time. So this shouldn't be hard for us to understand, this Antichrist, this coming leader, political, military and it's going to be his desire to take over the world again. But he'll be the last cult leader, the last dictator, the last fascist, the last Messiah figure until the Lord Jesus comes out of the clouds, riding a white horse, coming down to earth. He will pretty much subdue the battle at Armageddon, uh, set up his millennial kingdom, and rule righteously with his saints. And that is very exciting. But... Some may ask me, wow, Pastor Joe, there's just been a lot of history the last few Sundays, a lot about things that I, I, I didn't even study in school, a lot about the Antichrist. Why so much about the Antichrist? Well, remember, the Bible is relational. I read the Bible and I understood my relationship to God. It's regenerative. You know, it quickened my spirit. I became born again. Uh, it's encouraging to me. It's disciplinary. It does a lot of things, the Bible. But just to blow your mind for a minute, this book, when God removes his church and spares them from the wrath to come, uh, those that are left behind, this book will be an instruction manual. Now, I say this with a very strong caution. Wait until we're all gone. If there's anybody who doesn't believe it, and I have friends that say, well, when people start disappearing, I'm going to get serious. When everybody's gone, and my family and I are gone, you can break into my house. Remember, make sure we're all gone first. There ain't no surprises. You know, my house is very cozy. Uh, you know, go in, take care of the animals, uh, enjoy. You don't have to pay rent. And I have a whole library full of books. And then you can read it and, and see what the time period you're in. You can see the leader that's coming. You can see how to escape his, his wrath and his uh, judgments and such. So, you know, and I'm being funny, but I'm, I'm being serious at the same time because I'm not going to need the place. Now, part of what I do is apologetics, and I answer the questions before they come at me, because we have a lot of people in society that have a lot of questions, and they're skeptical of the Bible and skeptical of its veracity. One thing I didn't do going through this whole chapter 11 was talk to you about the, the hidden lost books, so to speak. 
Um, I've read those books, the Lost books. I've read Bell and the Dragon. I've read the different Gospels. I've read, you know, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Maccabees. Let me just tell you something about Maccabees. Maccabees is a great book. It's historical. Is it sacred scripture? Is it inspired word? No. I'll tell you why. Right off the bat, the author says in the first book of Maccabees, in verse 9 and verse 14, he goes, at this time there were no prophets. It was a prophetic silence. People didn't hear from God. So here's the author telling you, I'm not a prophet right? It's not sacred scripture. So I just love it. It says, some churches and organizations don't read that book. Read whatever you want, man. I tell you don't read something, you're going to read it on purpose. So, you know, we're not here to control you. Read whatever you want and then come to me and talk about it. You could read all those books and it doesn't change the gospel message. Last thing is to talk about how bad this time is going to be under the Antichrist. Matthew 24, Jesus says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. It's going to be a brutal time period, and, and I could refer back to our study in Revelation, which I probably will teach again if the Lord tarries, because every 10 years, 5 years, we, we find more, and it, it just more reinforces what Revelation says. It's, it's that powerful, but this is really a, a parallel book. So jumping in verse 11, starting with verse, or chapter 11, verse 36, it says, Then the king shall do according to his own will, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a god of fortresses, or bulwarks, or defense, and a God which his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. You know, when we go through Daniel, each successive, successive chapter compounds. It's like compounding interest in an account. It just keeps compounding what you heard before. So if you're just jumping in here, you're going to be like, whoa, what is this? But I encourage you to get the other messages for free because you really get this framework as you look at these successive chapters. If we could put up the image of the timeline, something I kind of drew up based on my study of Daniel 9 and Daniel 11. But basically, um, this, is, this is interesting. When we were in Daniel 9, here's an amazing thing. Why did Jesus have so many followers so fast? Because Daniel, see, this is to American culture, we don't get this. I mean, God spoke to his people so much and gave them prophetic utterances and told them basically time periods when events would take place. So all the, you know, maybe they weren't living the right life, but as Jewish boys, they definitely knew their scripture. So in Daniel 9, it told them when the Messiah would come to the pretty much day that he would come in as his triumphal entry. So Jesus immediately amassed an incredible following. Now, if you look at AD 32, 33, this was some issues with the calendar and the changeover, but uh, Jesus is crucified, and that was in Daniel 9.26. A lot of times in prophecy, between one verse to the next, again, it's foreign to our minds, there's a gap. And like, well, what's in that gap? Well, God puts stuff in that gap. But then what he'll do is he'll kind of start the clock again at a later time. So between Daniel 26 and Daniel 20. I would say Daniel 9.26 and 9.27, Jesus is crucified. It says the Messiah is cut off, and then it continues speaking about a one more seven-year period that has to happen for the Jewish people. Okay, If you were here for Daniel 9, you get that. Over here, 
And this, Daniel 9 follows this Roman kind of, you know, pagan kingdom that the Lord said would come on the planet and an outcropping of the Antichrist from that. He also makes a, a, a parallel with the Grecian kingdom, Daniel 11.35, 186 B.C., Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the Hanukkah story, amazing, before it happened it was told. Daniel 11.35, now we're jumping into Daniel 11.36 where he doesn't really talk so much about Antiochus IV, although there are some waves and veins of that, but what happens is you see the Antichrist unleash this great calamity, great tribulation, the, t the time of, of wrath. So, listen, I've got to hit the new believers, and I've also got to hit those that have been studying for many years. Uh, so if it's not completely clear, send me an email, talk to me after service, not a problem. But in, in verse 36, it says, until the wrath has been accomplished. And this is the second half, or the great tribulation. Um, triggering events for Daniel 9.26 because we're here in the church age, right? When Gabriel spoke to uh, Daniel, the angel Gabriel, he said, this is for your people. So for, you know, for your people, this is what's represented in the green. Um, the last week hasn't occurred yet. That's also for the Jewish people. So here, something happened in the middle of that pause, and that was called the church age. Okay? So the triggering events for Daniel 9.27 is most likely the rapture or the Antichrist signing this, this treaty with Israel. And the triggering event for the Antichrist unleashing his calamity um, is, you know, this is over here. You have this gap between Antiochus IV and the Antichrist. And then, of course, after that you have Revelation 6, 1 through 8, the rider of the white horse. Remember, there's two riders of the white horse. On Revelation 6, He's a ghastly figure. He has a bow but no arrows. He's kind of creepy. This isn't Jesus. This is the false Christ. He comes first. After him comes the red horse, right? There's three more horses, the, the war horse, and then famine and then death, and really in that order, right? But what does 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tell us? Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. Revelation 3.10, Jesus tells his followers, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Again, a lot of these things that are spoken of never happened. So obviously it has to happen in our future or God lied or forgot something or in his old age he's, he's you know, forgetful and, and that's not how our God works. He will fulfill his promises. Unlike Shirley MacLaine shouting on a beach saying, I am God, I don't know if you ever saw that video. She's kind of harmless, you know, she's a, an actress looking for relevance in her life. The Antichrist will take self-deification to an unprecedented level because he'll have power and authority to rule. Where the, anti, or where the uh, Antiochus IV desecrated the temple in the Hanukkah story, the Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the rebuilt temple, look to Jerusalem, templeinstitute.org, it's, everything's ready, all this furniture, all the pieces are ready for this new temple to be built. The Revelation says it will be built. Right now, all we see over there is the Temple Mount and the Wailing Wall and the uh, Muslim's holy site. When you see the construction on that, I mean, it can only take a few months with modern technology. So, again, people mock, they make fun of the scripture, except there's all these indicators that are showing everything it said thousands of years ago will come to pass. But... I'm going to read for you 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul speaks about a little bit of this Antichrist man mannerisms and how he really thinks he's God. He's completely self-deluded. 
2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 3, it says, Let no one deceive you. Actually, let's go to the first verse. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind. The Thessalonians probably thought the, you know, the Lord had come and they missed it. And some Christians today think the same thing. But Paul's saying, listen, these things have to come first before that event happens. There's an order, a triggering event, so to speak. He says, not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it, as it was from us, because it wasn't, as though the day of Christ had come, because it hadn't. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy, we're starting to see that, comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God specifically in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Pretty scary, pretty creepy, but I believe, as a premillennialist, pre-trib uh, believer, dispensationalist, that we're not going to be here for that. But the Bible tells us, for a while, nobody will be able to withstand him, right, until this time has been determined and accomplished. So if you're new to the church, you're like, what did I just walk into? <laughs> but if you followed us in Revelation and Daniel, you can see, I already talked about Western Europe, I talked to you about how the seeds are being sown for another fascist to come to power. As much as Europe says, we'll never do it again, it'll never happen again, it's going to happen again. Because their governments and their way of life is setting it up for this person to take over and unify those Western powers. You know, again, when I got saved some 22, 23 years ago, I was blown away by the information we had back then. Now it's, it's way different. The Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, all the North African um, uh, countries, uh, Arabian countries, Western countries, Iran, Russia, Turkey, they're all, they're all hot spots now. And those are all the things that are mentioned in this incredible battle that 20 years ago, it wasn't the case. So it's fascinating. We're just getting closer and closer. So basically what happens is, um, you know, he, he had, it says a few odd things. And people make a lot of hay of verse 37, but I, I think we need to take it in context. It says, he shall regard neither, he won't regard the God of his fathers. Some think that at least he's partially Jewish because God is, is, is Yahweh or understood to be our God. So he shall not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. He shall magnify himself above them all. Now, and I've heard this, well, he won't regard the desire of woman means that he'll, he has to be a homosexual. People say these things, and they're not necessarily accurate. He could be asexual. Some people get turned on by power. You know what I'm saying? Even in our own... Our elected officials, sometimes the only way to get rid of these guys and gals is, is when they pass away and they take them out in a coffin. They're so addicted to the power and they don't even seem to serve the people anymore. So this guy's going to have so much power under him. Another translation is that he wouldn't regard the desire of women in a, in a Jewish flavor, right? We read this from a Jewish sense that the desire of all women was to give birth to the Messiah. So he will not regard the true Messiah, but he will come as the Messiah. So I don't, want to make, I don't want to get too much into this, but he will deify himself, become a Messiah figure, and then have people worship him. Now, I'll give you a few examples. Again, people say, well, how could this happen? We're so smart. We're so enlightened. Well, the Germans in World War II were probably the smartest people on earth. They gave us jet propulsion technology, nuclear technology, and look, look who they followed. 
You know what I'm saying? Smartness doesn't mean godliness. It doesn't mean we understand spiritual things. Sometimes we're so smart that we lose common sense at times. But a few things. I'll give you some ideas. Um, I have a, a relative who is taking the boards or the tests to become a Unitarian minister. Now, in that church, you could have 200 people in the church. One person could worship a frog. Another could worship a stone. And they all sit around, and they don't argue about anything. They don't look for truth. They just, it's pluralistic. It's true. If you go there, they'll, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and they're fine with it. Um, Scientology is the mating of humanism under a 501c3. I've got to be honest with you. Years ago when I was searching, before I was a Christian, I actually went there for a little while in New York. I was seeking. And they kept talking about this L. Ron Hubbard guy. I thought any day I'd see him. The guy was dead for years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's really, it's a god of humanism. You could see the whole thing with Tom Cruise and his messy split. And um, a lot of weird stuff comes out of there. They don't worship God. So there's a lot of religions out there that Christianity is, is difficult. You know, you, you've got to change. You can't worship yourself. You have to deny yourself. Who wants that? So Christianity is a stumbling block. So let's find the religion that makes us all feel better. Um, that we could feel good and do whatever we want, and there's no conviction or anything like that. I'll go on. Recent Pew poll uh, polled, you know, we're in a political season, Republicans and Democrats, more Democrats, but definitely Republicans, that uh, political party, people who are likely voters, are becoming more either agnostic, atheist, or irreligious, especially in the younger generation. What does that tell you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It tells you that this book has all the answers... But most people aren't going to pick it up and read it until it's too late. Okay? Um, again, whenever I witness to people, it's, it's difficult because they bring out a lot of hypocrisy in Christianity and I find myself peeling off those layers of the onions first before I can really get to the heart of the matter, which is the gospel. Western Christianity, folks, has a black eye. Now, Jesus doesn't. You give somebody pure Jesus, they're in love with that. But Western Christianity, it's messy. It really is. So we have to preach the truth, we have to live the truth, and we have to be uh, the tutelage of the truth from God's Word. You know, I've even, I've even talked about this in the Christmas merit message. What are we doing? I mean, and I see this. The more you read the news, the more you go on Facebook, the more you can become angrier. And get away from the electronic media. Go pet a dog or a horse or, you know, do, you know be, be with your family. I mean, social media and, and electronic media can make you crazy after a time. But I've said this to the body. All right, so we're past the Christmas season. Everybody's relaxing, um, going to the gym on January to work off the call the Christmas cookies and stuff. I, I went yesterday. <laughs> so, but basically, I try to tell people, you know, are we, are we a mousetrap waiting for somebody to say happy holidays so we can slam back, it's Merry Christmas! You know, or did you do that? No, I'm just kidding. Or are we trying to build a bridge? See, because can I tell you something? When, when it's the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, and, and the Lord has spoken to me and say, that person, yeah, but look at the Lord, look at my schedule. You know, I mean, are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit? Are we going to listen to the Lord? Are we going to minister to somebody who's really looking like they're having a hard time? Or are we just going to shout, Merry Christmas to them? Because that doesn't do anything. See, it's always the harder way that's the more gl glorious way. It's the more honoring of God way. And building a bridge is what Jesus did. For those three plus years, he walked, he talked, he walked, he hugged, he healed. I mean, there was times in the scripture where we read, because he was fully God and fully man, he was wiped. 
when he was in the ship and there was a storm, the disciples were panicking. He's sleeping in the, in the bottom with a pillow. He's out cold, Jesus, because he constantly built bridges. He wanted to win people to salvation. Do we model that or do we just want to throw platitudes at people? Christianity has a black eye, but we can do things to change that in our own spheres of, of influence if we really want to. Verses 38 and 39, it says that he'll worship a god of fortresses or defense. Um, Antiochus four. You know, they worship idols, and we, we make fun of that, but we have different idols. We have idols of money, we have idols of social media, we have idols of self. So whatever, just trade the idols. Everybody, you know, people have idols. Um, when we look at the Antichrist, we look at a Hitler and a Stalin who put their countries in debt, a lot of famine to, to fund the war machine. Look at North Korea. They, they're not even fighting anybody. They have all these soldiers. A lot of North Koreans are starving to death, but if you're in the military, you're fed well. So you've got these, these dictator-type fascist leaders who just, they just want to build a war machine. It's like an ego venture. So they worship, really, a god of fortresses. Uh, in World War II, the estimates are between 60 and 100 million perished between civilians and military. That's a lot of, can't imagine that. If, uh, you know, 100 million pennies would probably fill up this room. That's, that's horrific. Here it'll be worse. Daniel 7, the Antichrist with a little horn will uproot the three horns first. Similar, going back, I'm going back and forth between the Antichrist and this, this leader in the past. Uh, he's going to flex his military muscles early. He's going to show who's boss. And, you know, when a leader's really strong, people just, they, they fall under that leader out of fear. Okay? This book is a book of warning. Remember, the prophet Jeremiah warned the Judas, Judahites that the Babylonians were coming. You better get right with the Lord because they're going to invade. No, no, no. It happened. Daniel warned of Antiochus IV, Hanukkah story. It happened. Jesus warned the first century believers of the invasion of AD 66 through 70, the Roman Jewish wars. It happened. Those that listened to those three were spared because they paid attention to what God's word said. They believed it and therefore their lives were spared. Jesus, Daniel, and the apostle Paul all warned about the worst of the worst, who's the coming Antichrist. Again, he's in our future. Statistics uh, I wrote, or I, I read and write, I read, says between 2 and 5% of cr professing Christians actually have read the whole Bible. That's a really, really low number. But the, but the warnings and direction for life is in this book. I've got to be honest with you, when I came out of religion, I was in a big religion, never encouraged to read the Bible, some 20-something years, and I was happy that I really had a true relationship with the Lord, but I also went through a phase of anger <laughs> because I felt I was ripped off for all those years. Had I just known this? Had I just known that? You know, that's what happens when you leave religion and you come into a relationship with the Lord. Everything changes. Everything is opened up for us. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given to us all, not some, not a few, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, meaning Jesus Christ. So it's all in here. What do you need? What are you struggling with? What's the issue? What decision are you having a hard time making? Immerse yourself in this. Verse 40. At the time of the end, or at the time yeah, of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, which is always known as Jerusalem, and many countries shall be overthrown. But 
These shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasuries of gold and silver, over all precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. Egypt is going to be uh, taken. You know, some of these countries will be occupied through the Antichrist and his forces. Um, and basically, it's really easy to understand. Any war machine thrives when they conquer to steal. Right? When a, 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 when a, you know, listen, the Nazis did it going east. They stole gold. They stole bank accounts. And then when the Russians gained power and they went west, they stole. I was, people had nothing left by the time both of these, these juggernauts came through their lands. Uh, when the Russians invaded Berlin, they took all kinds of stuff, including uh, nuclear secrets and stuff, and they carted it back to Moscow. This is, what, this is what invading nations do in order to survive and feed the beast. They have to keep stealing and taking. And, you know, so you, what's what we're reading here? Verse 44, But the news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his hand, and no one will help him. Um, you know, we, we went through the king of the north or the king of the south. I put up the map for su- su- successive Sundays. And basically in my mind, if I close my eyes, I can draw the map of the Middle East because I've done it so much. But basically Israel's in the middle of everything. To the south of her is the Arabian Peninsula and Africa. To the east is Syria and all the way to Iraq, Iran, keep going. And to the north is Turkey, Russia. So this is what you see going on. But there's just going to be a lot of fighting. See, Satan doesn't care who wins and who loses. He just wants people to die. Because we're made in God's image, so his desire is to destroy us before we can come to him and come to faith. So he's just going to rile every... It's going to be like a big barroom brawl. Everybody's going to be throwing punches, smashing tables. It's just what's going to be. The world is going to be a nightmare to live in. And we go to Revelation, it gives even more detail. But I find this interesting because, you know, you see the northern and the southern powers. I don't know if you knew this, but Africa has 54 countries in what's called the African Union. There's an African Union, there's an Asian Union, there's a Central and North, North and South American Union, and then there's a Western or European Union. So Africans are like, hey, we need to protect our interests too. So currently today, there are 54 countries in Africa that are part of the African Union. So he's, this guy's going to rile everybody up. He's going to poke the bees in the hornet's nets, nets, and people are going to rise and, and start bearing arms, and just it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, we can suspect that Russia will be an issue and, and, and deal with the Western powers. We see the tension now between Turkey, who's a NATO state, who shot down the Russian jet. You think Putin's going to let that one go? I've been studying you know, history and politics for years. Putin's a slickster. He'll wait till the opportune time and he'll, he'll get them back. And then what do we do? It's a NATO state. You know, I was reading something about China uh, and China. China's looking to pick a fight with somebody. They've stole, stole our federal, they, they, they have hackers that have stolen our secrets. What are we doing in this country? They steal our nuclear, our, our, our technology from our ships, our, our planes, China's pretty much duplicated everything we have. You know, and people say, oh, but Americans were the best. We're starting to lose our prominence in the world. They've got carriers, they've got jets, they've got missiles. 
and China keeps going into, into the Pacific and looking to pick a fight with Japan and these other... If you don't know this, you're not paying attention. You know, we can sometimes get trapped in our little Western bubbles, our little, little comfortable Western bubbles, but it's a scary world out there. Right? They're just looking for a fight. Right? So what's going to happen? I don't know. But according to this, there's going to be a bloodbath at some point in the near future. If we could put up the map of Israel and you look at Edom, Moab, and Ammon, pretty much those countries are here, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, and that makes up what's known as modern-day Jordan. I think it was the Revelation study or one of the Gospel studies I did, but it talked about when Israel is attacked, that she'll, her people will flee east, the ones who know what the Scripture says, and they'll go into this incredible fortress in uh, Jordan, that even with modern military, uh, it's mostly impenetrable. It's a city made out of a mountain. It's got latrines, it's got water, uh, you know, uh, reservoirs to hold water. It has uh, protective, it's got, it's got fortresses. And, and I showed video of it and pictures, and it's mind-blowing. But why is, are they not taken? Because that's where, when, is, when Israel's attacked, especially the residents of Jerusalem, they're going to they're gonna go east and head into Jordan. So those three, Edom, jo uh, Moab, and, and Edom, Moab, and Ammon, easy for me to say, uh, they basically comp comprise Jordan. So the names change, but the geography doesn't. Iran used to be Persia. It's still the same geography. As a matter of fact, I know some people of Iranian descent, and they say, we are Persians. To Americans, we're like, what, what the heck's a Persian? <laughs> Look in the Bible. You'll see what a Persian is. Right? This is, this is I tell you, when you know the Bible, you know your geopolitics. Um, it talks about the... In the east, the trouble from the east. In Revelation 16, it speaks about the kings of the east who actually march through the dried up uh, Ju uh, Euphrates and come into this great battle. So the Asiatic states, I mentioned China. If you look at pretty much Israel, okay, you have Jordan, you have Syria up here, you keep going east, you have Iraq. I'm going to run out of wall soon. You have Iraq, you have Iran, then you have... Uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan, and then you have the Asiatic states, okay? Whereas the Euphrates mostly runs through Iraq. Uh, so if that dries up, it's, it's an easy move for the Asiatic states, China maybe, North Korea, maybe a coalition to move westward. Somebody put their finger in their eye and they're just waiting for a fist fight. So they come west and they come into this battle as well. With modern military equipment, it wouldn't take much to travel all those miles and cross that um, Euphrates River. Right? Bible silly? Mm, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's look at more evidence here. Verse 45a, if we could, well, let's keep that up. It speaks about really this triangulation between the seas. Uh, see, the seas and the glorious land. Yes. He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, which was known really where Jerusalem is. So if we look at the triangulation, this was always known as the Sea of Galilee. Doesn't that look small? When I taught on the Gospels, did you know that that surface area is, I think, bigger than Middlesex County? It's not a little fishing lake. Whoosh. You know, oh, there's a great storm. It's a pond. It's not a pond. If you go there, it is huge. It's a huge body of water. It's known as the, the Sea of Galilee. Here is the Mediterranean Sea. And right here is the 
is Jerusalem. Well, if you triangulate, what do you have here? Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Mm -hmm. So basically what happens is this historical battle is going to be fought. Um, it's been fought before. A lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of blood was shed in this battlefield. Josiah, the king, went out to meet Pharaoh Nicho on his way to Karchemish, another great battle. Um, and basically, it says that when his, the Antichrist demise finally happens, there's going to be none to help him. Because when the Lord comes, if the Lord is against you, no one's going to help you. So when the Lord comes and he you know, squares off at him and he destroys him and he takes him and the false prophet and puts him into the lake of fire, key word, alive. Alive. Hell's not a, a nice place. I don't know why people don't preach it anymore. Jesus preached more of it than heaven, and the reason was because he doesn't want anybody to go there, and nobody has to. That's why he died for our sins. If we could just put up the image of Megiddo, the actual picture. This is a military commander's dream. If you look over here, and these are trees, really big trees. Look at those plains. Now, you have the Jezreel Valley, you have the plains of Megiddo, you have Mount Megiddo, which Armageddon is translated to. Uh, mount is actually a tell. The difference between a mount and a tell is a tell is man-made. So basically, uh, civilizations built on this place. They died off. Other civilizations came, built more. And then you have this, what looks like a flat mountain, because it's a tell. It's multiple series of civilizations that keep building, and it rises. So you have your high point, you have your low point, you have your plains. Several armies could square off and let's do it. Let's do battle. Remember the discussion that the, we're having in the United States about ISIS? You need ground troops. You study military history, you need ground troops. You can't get rid of anybody without ground troops. Air power alone does not do the job. Um, and you can look at some of the, the um, whether it was Vietnam, whether it, whatever you want to call it, a war, a conflict, whatever. Vietnam, uh, Iraq, the bombing mercilessly of Iraq, uh, bombing of ISIS, unless you put boots on the ground, you, you, we got to open up our minds to this stuff. The Bible's right here. So the ground troops have to be able to fight this battle. They're going to be boots on the ground. Right? Verse 12, so we continue. At that time, Michael shall stand up. This is the archangel Michael, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since... There was a nation, even to that time, even at the time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Remember, chapter delineations came hundreds of years later. They weren't inspired by God. They just broke up the text. So this, this is in conjunction to this time period. So, so amazing how the angel is telling Daniel about something that's going to happen way into the future. And now it's our future as well. But basically, we, we saw in 11.1, uh, Gabriel stood up, the angel Gabriel, and he strengthened Darius uh, to help God's people. So here, Michael is going to stand up, and in Revelation 12, it's this epic battle between uh, angels and demons. Uh, it's going on now. It's going to be really ramped up in the future, and Michael will be defending his people or God's people. Um, so it's pretty amazing stuff. Je Jeremiah 37 is, is a parallel scripture, and it talks about the time of Jacob or Israel's trouble. Again, a future occurrence, as has never been seen before, as will never be again. So it's going to be, the Antichrist is going to just be a, a true anti-Semite. He's going to be inspired by Satan's anti-Semitism. 
Read some articles. Europe, France, England, okay, home of the Reformation. There are a lot of, there's a lot of anti-Semitism. Okay, in Europe, in, in France, it's really bad. I keep reading articles of Jewish people. They don't know where to go. A lot of them are just going to Israel. They don't know where to go for safety. They're getting harassed. Synagogues are being burnt down. Setting the stage. So let me ask the question before it comes. Why would a loving God dot, dot, dot? The answer is, people will champion this leader. Now, he's not going to be grotesque and scary looking and have a gravelly voice. He's probably going to be very handsome very charismatic, very smooth, very, oh, he's so loving. Oh, he ministers to me with his words. His, he's going to be a flatterer. He's going to be all these things. The world is going to love this guy. You watch. I'm going to make peace between the Palestinians and the Jews. No more bombs, no more rocks. Okay? And, and people are going to say, this is the guy we've been... I'm going to solve poverty. I'm going to solve AIDS. Everybody says that. They start, and then and where do they end up? So... God is just giving the people what they asked for. In 1 Kings 15, wicked kings. We've been reading about horrible kings of Israel. Why would God allow? Because when God said, I want to rule you, my people, they said, no, we want a human king. You know, all those other nations, they have kings, and they have crowns, and they have thrones, and it's, there's a procession, and it's really cool. This is my paraphrase. That's what we want. And God's like, okay, they rejected me from ruling over them directly. So before we start throwing those questions out, why is there so much suffering, hatred, disease, death in the world? Do you want, the answer is because humans, sinful human beings, have rebelled against God, said, we like your creation, but beat it. We want to run the place here. We're not interested in you. So that's the result of it. And that's an oversimplification. I've covered that before. Right? I'm, I'm actually looking forward for the Lord to return. I want to live under his rule. I'm tired of crooked politicians. You know, and in New Jersey, both parties. And I'm funny, I'm watching a political show in the, in the Beltway, and they're saying, New Jersey, New Jer- bless you, <laughs> New Jerseyans have a high tolerance for corruption in their political system. What a shame that is, that people outside of New Jersey think that about us. But I'm tired of it. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn away, who, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You find me any book of the Bible that talks about judgment, I'll find you a silver lining. That's the beauty of God's word. God doesn't like this. This is sinful. This is bad for your children. This is bad for your human race. And I have to deal with it. But here's the silver lining. Silver lining is that this is the prophecy of the resurrection in the Old Testament. I love to point my Jewish friends to this. They, you, you Christians believe, hold on, you believed it before we did. Let me flip the pages. Oh, I, I didn't see that before. <laughs> so the prophecy of the resurrection is way back into the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 in the New Testament expounds on the resurrection in detail. It's a very um, detailed doctrine. that God, It's not a sloppy, I'm just going to rise people. The way he does it, the order that he does it, what the bodies will be like, pretty impressive. 1 Corinthians 15. Those, some will shine and glitter like the stars. You see, God loves it when we as his people reflect him. Whether it was the Jews of the Old Testament telling pagan people, no, you're worshiping stones and fish. They're really, let me tell you about Yahweh. Let me tell you about my God. When we as Christians do the same thing, he loves that. He loves that when we, when we live our faith and when we bring others to the Lord and we influence them. And brothers and sisters, 
we all have the ability to influence somebody. Influence is dynamic, it's not static. If we're not influencing anyway, anyone, ever, we're probably being negatively influenced by somebody else. So keep that in mind. There's a lot of things that we can do in ministry, but evangelism or the ministry of reconciliation from people to God, the Apostle Paul says we all possess that. Every single believer. Because what's going to happen? 2 Timothy 3.13 Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that's, that's what we see in our, 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 our land, and that's what's in the future. The humanist says, no, man will solve man's problems. Look at the UN. If there's any humanist organization, look at the UN. Reading stories about how the United States is looking to just fund it, fund it less. You know, some people say it's useless nations or whatever. They have different acronyms for it. But what are they fixing? Wars, disease, poverty in so many countries. Verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, some have looked at and said that, well, the prophecy is going to make more sense when we're in the age of information. It's a simplified look at it. Yeah, I can see that it does kind of correspond with what the times that we're in, and running to and fro in that uh, travel will increase. So, you know, people were on horsebacks. Now you've got these planes now that are... Uh, faster than the, the old jets of 20 years ago. It's you know, people getting shuttled into space. Um, that's one way to look at it. But, you know, basically, Daniel, you're not going to understand this. And even if I was to tell you all this, Daniel, it's not even in your time period. It wouldn't make any sense to you. So you're a faithful servant. And just like many prophets were, write it down, seal it up. There will be a time where people will understand this. And brothers and sisters, we're in that time. If you look at the last, again, I went to a, 25 years ago, I went to a prophecy conference, my wife and I, and uh, Dave Hunt was still alive, and Chuck Missler, and it was at Calvary Old Bridge, and I was blown away. I was, I, I, you know, all the information, and now I studied Revelation years later, and I'm like, wow, the stuff that they had was outdated. It just makes the Bible come more and more alive. So we are at the time where that prophecy can be opened up and understood. It's very exciting times that we live in. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on the river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him, meaning God, who lives forever, that it shall be for a time or a year, times, two years, and half a time, half a year, three and a half years. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, very sad, there has to be this sifting process before the Lord actually returns in glory. All these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Um, again, Daniel's in this position much like the Apostle John in the New Testament under Revelation where, you know, to just get something written down it would be even more confusing. So the angelic beings really take him through a tour. Gabriel was his main tour guide showing him these things. And he's in this place now where there's other angelic beings and they're swearing uh, that it's true. Um, but basically what happens in three and a half years, if we could put the timeline back up, 
basically you have this seven-year period, or in the Hebrew, Shabuah, and uh, it's a seven-year period, and in this middle period, it's the worst part is the last three and a half years. So it's the calamity, the Antichrist uh, breaking the treaty with Israel, setting himself up to be God and to be worshipped as, as God in the temple, and then you have three and a half years to the Lord's second coming. We can leave that up for a minute. Verse 8. Remember, rapture, no man will know. Two separate events. Second coming can be calculated. And, and they were actually encouraged to calculate it, to, to see when they were in this really difficult time. The Lord's come, we just got to hang on, you know, another year, another few months. Verse 8. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Reminds me of my son. Um, I, he asked me a question. I tell him I don't need to tell him what it is or he doesn't need to know right now. And then he'll rephrase it like five different times <laughs> because he really wants to know. I'm like, Josiah, you could be a lawyer. Just t- t- go to law school. I'm like, and you're not fooling me because I've been around the block a few times, okay, buddy? But Daniel, he just keeps, he's, he wants to know. And you know, that's beautiful. Do we want to know? When you leave this place, if you're confused, do you want to say, well, before I leave that building or before the week is up, I'm sending an email. I need to know what this means. Daniel wanted to know. And what's sad is church has become a place, when, when I look at church aggregately, where people, are, they're spectators. They're part of the movie. They're watching Star Wars. They're throwing up popcorn. You know, entertain me. That's not church. Church is to be a part of. Daniel wanted to know. It wasn't enough for him that he was writing down the prophecy. God, tell me, God, please, I'm an old man. I've waited this long. You've got to tell me. And the angel's basically saying, you're faithful, but this, some of the stuff, even if you did know, wouldn't make sense. So Daniel, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, <laughs> for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Right? Verse 10, many shall be purified. There's a concept in the Bible that trials purify. And I got to tell you, if you've ever wanted to be discipled, and you want wisdom, don't find the shallow, overindulged Christian. Because you're not, you're not I hate to say this, but you're not going to get much. You know, find the person who's had loss in their life and still has joy. And there's some awesome people in this church that have been through some really hard times, and you can see the purifying process on them. You can see the glow in their face, that you can see Jesus on their face. You know, it's, it's a purification process. The stuff that we hear about things are always supposed to be great, and God's are just big Santa Claus in the sky, and he just needs to shower us with gifts if we just have faith. That's nonsense. Life is real. We go through real things, but how do we come out of it? Are we, bitter, are we bitter or are we better? Are we purified or are we just trampled down and we're done? But the wicked won't understand. As for matter of fact, the wicked will probably hear messages like this and think in their mind, this is stupid. This is, this is so archaic. I mean, we're in the 21st century. But they'll continue, they'll, and society will continue to make excuses for sin. You know, we live in a society today where nothing's wrong anymore. We just blame it on a disease, blame it on our parents, the government, the teachers didn't teach me right. Um, but this, the wicked, wickedness is just going to increase. The last few verses. And from the, time, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, okay, Antiochus IV did this. In the Hanukkah story, read it. I've been, I've been had the occasion to really talk to a lot of Jewish people this Hanukkah season. 
And I'm, I'm so annoying. I'm like, but, but do you know all the details? You know? And I'm like, let me tell you what Daniel 11 says. And they're like, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and people knew it before it actually happened. Uh, so it says, from that time, the daily sacrifice is taken away. Antiochus IV, 2nd century BC, did this. Antichrist will do the same. He'll defile the temple by setting himself self up as God, as Antiochus IV set up a false uh, a, a temple, an altar to a false idol, and the temple was just, they had to wait until they got him out to clean the place up and repurify it and rededicate it. So at the time that daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, what's more abominable than a man claiming to be God, trying to usurp God's uh, position. It's bad enough that Satan did it and was cast down to the earth, but when men do it, I mean, it's kind of foolish and it's, it's blasphemy. There shall be 1,290 days. Now the numbers are going to start to change here. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days changes again. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest. Daniel, you've been a faithful soldier. You know, if I died today and, and, I, and I got to see God, I, I would want to be like, I want him to say, you did your job, Joe. Just rest. It's going to be good. Wait, take, take a seat and watch what's going to happen. And we'll arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. So if we could put up the timeline, we have that up. From the abomination of desolation, which is in the middle of the tribulation week, the seven-year period. So from here to here is three and a half years, here to here is three and a half years. You can count these days, all right? Um, then the number starts to change. Uh, was it 1,290? and then 1,335. So it takes us outside of this green area. What happens there? Well, God sets up his millennial kingdom. Awesome kingdom for a thousand years. We get to see how a righteous ruler rules. And maybe the, the delay in the numbers is a few things. The Bible speaks about the judging of the nations. Je Jesus will gather the nations and judge them. Um, maybe the Lord Jesus is setting up, he's setting up his structure of this millennial kingdom. Maybe he's purifying things on the earth that are just not good, removing wicked leaders. Um, and the Bible does indicate probably that we as his saints, will, he'll put us in place while he's like the president of the world or the king of the world. And I don't know if he's taken suggestions, but like for me, I want to be somewhere where it's really nice and warm and overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. Just saying. I don't know. You'll have to put your thing in, but... Uh, I could, I'll be out of New Jersey, I hope, and, and a place where it's just nice and balmy all the time. Anyway, that being said, Jesus, <laughs> this is a book of warning. And Jesus also warned in Luke 21, 20. What did he say to the people of the first century? When you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, get out of the city. And uh, uh, the general Titus actually, Rome, Roman Jewish Wars, A.D. 66 through 70, he started mustering up the troops. He had four legions that he surrounded Jerusalem with. And when he gave the word, they attacked. So the Jews and Christians who were in Jerusalem and saw, hey, pss, pss, you hear that foot traffic looking out the window? And you see the sandals, jump, 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 the swords and the shields. We better get out of here. Hey, take this, take that. Just get, take the dog and let's get out of here. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus warned and a lot of people were spared. Uh, both Jews and Christians, and even unbelievers who, who listened. So warning. What does warning do? And when we find out that prophecy is true, it connects us with our God. 
it, it stops us from just going through business of usual in the world and just dealing with other humans. God interrupts our, our human history. He shows us something that turns out to be true, that there's no empirical way that this could happen, and we realize we have a living, loving, caring God. So warning is love. Two, I believe he does this to reveal pure evil. You know, even Christians today still have a humanistic way of thinking. People are basically good. It's not true. You, you give somebody, I tell you why, you see it in the lottery. They get money, they change. They get power, they change. How many of you, don't raise your hand, have had somebody get promoted over you and all of a sudden they change? And they just want to exert authority over you, power over you, tell you it just makes them feel good. Imagine running or, you know, look at this thing with ISIS. I actually have an article on my Facebook wall and I, I just can't say it from the pulpit because some of you would say, you know, that was a bad judgment call. What they do to these people, this is pure evil. It isn't because they don't have a job. It isn't because, you know, they grew up in poverty. These people are sick. That's got to be stopped. Um, but mankind is basically evil. We're basically sinners, and that's why we need a Savior. That's why Jesus came for us. Three, it's a, d a direction manual to those that are left behind. If you didn't get a chance... And I don't often put my endorsement on movies, but Left Behind with Nicolas Cage was pretty accurate, I believe. It, it's, it showed a sliver of what it would look like. Uh, it was a pretty good movie, I thought. Anxiety, fear, war, war famine, depression, instability. It's just going to increase exp exponential. Don't be left behind. Four, vision for today, and this is where we'll leave it. Watered down Christianity, you watch it and you never hear. There's some people, you might have friends and you might tell them about this and they're Christians and they never heard, what, Daniel, what, what, Andy, what? I never heard that. Because they're too busy listening to junk food, to candy on TV, candy preachers. It keeps their ministries going. It keeps them popular. They don't talk about these deep things. It's tough to do. But it's reality. <laughs> some Christians are just not going to be prepared when things take a turn for the worse. I'm hoping that we're prepared because we're in the Word. This is deep stuff, and it will change us deeply if we allow it to. Worldly and distracted Christians will completely be unprepared for trials, and some of them may even espouse the beliefs of the enemy just because they're driven by feelings and emotion. Those that have vision for today, knowing these prophecies, knowing the instructions, knowing the faithfulness of Daniel, will be prepared. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle through life when we lose a loved one. It won't mean we won't struggle when we made a bad financial decision. But you know what? God will help us to bounce back. He will be that overriding, strong force in our life, that Father, that Creator, that will guide us. Which type of Christian do you want to be? I know which one I do. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.